This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to the CMO Spotlight on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again are Catherine Hayes and Jenny Rooney. And welcome back to CMO Spotlight. I'm Catherine Hayes, uh, co-author of Beyond Advertising, Creating Value Through All Customer Touchpoints, here with my co-host, Jenny Rooney. Hi, Catherine. How are you? Good. Jenny's with the Forbes CMO Network, and we are thrilled and pleased to be launching our very own show called the CMO Spotlight. Um, so you're you're in a great place to be, you know, <laughs> news, breaking news, and be with us for this first show, um, which we'll be doing once a month from here on. So we now in our second half of the show uh, that we're talking about CMO's first 100 days. Mm-hmm. We're excited to welcome to the show Jay Livingston. He's the CMO, Chief Marketing Officer for Bark. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thanks. Thrilled to be here. Wonderful Hi, Jay. Wonderful to have you. Hi, Jenny. So we wanted to start with a little bit. We want to talk dogs. We want to talk dogs. Um, We want to talk not you as a dog. That's not what she meant. I wanted to clarify that. But um, but we can you just give us a little bit of background first about Bark and what Bark is, and then about your journey. Um, How did you come to Bark? And then we'll get into a little bit about your hundred days, please. Sure. There's actually a big bulldog laying right at my feet, sleeping, (laughs) uh, named Frank. That I think Jenny met when she was in the office one time. So Frank is a. He's our, he's always on guard for pigeons or other problems here. <laughs> Say hi to Frank for me. I will. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Bark uh, Bark is known as the makers of Bark Box. So we're, we start as a subscription business. We currently have about 700,000 subscribers to our monthly box of toys and treats uh, that comes in a very themed package every month. Uh, we also now have a retail store named Bark, called Bark Shop where we sell all things dog. And then we're in retail where we have the end caps of uh, the pet sections of all 1,800 targets nationwide. Wow. So we just started that relationship last August. Um, we're also sort of known for our social engagement and community that we built um, early on. So we have about 13 million followers across all of our various handles and have a tremendous amount of engagement, about seven times the engagement of all the other pet brands combined in the U.S. Wow. So um, we, we do really well there. Uh, and yeah, so my background is I worked for 20 years, believe it or not, at Bank of America. Um, I was recruited out of Miami, Ohio, uh, and sort of rotated around to every functional area of marketing at the company. And then I, I retired from the company. They have a thing there called the Rule of 60, which is your age plus years of service. And so when I hit that number, um, I had been doing some angel investing around New York. Uh, uh, and sat on a couple of boards and was were advising a bunch of companies and was kind of missing that on the ground nitty gritty you know hand to hand combat of marketing mm-hmm. close to the customer that we had just gotten away from and I had gotten away from in a bigger jobs at Bank of America so i mean so, oh go ahead please yeah no i mean what was the bit i mean talk about you couldn't pick two more different industries right or two more different companies. Um, so coming into Bark, I mean, first of all, what attracted you to it? I think it's a no-brainer, but go ahead. You, t- you tell us. <laughs> well, you know, I took, one is I took two years off and really continued to angel invest and spend some time with these smaller companies. And so I had a strong feel for what that experience was going to be like. Mm-hmm. Like I knew what it was going to be like to sit at an open floor plan table with like 
20 millennials, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of that table, that was not something that you would experience at, say, Bank of America. But I was really looking for a, um, a consumer-facing company that uh, made a physical product, so I wasn't interested in software or something like that. I just liked the idea of a physical, actual product that brought people joy. Um, and I also wanted to be headquartered in New York City. And so, you know, those four things are hard to find where a CMO kind of comes up, uh, opportunity comes up that fits that category, those categories. And so I was friends through some of my angel investing with one of the co-founders, Henrik Werdelin, who owns an incubator called Prehype. And they had incubated 30 or 40 businesses, um, a couple of which I had invested in. And so he said, you know, we may need a CMO here shortly. And that kind of started the conversation. I got in here, uh, loved the company, loved what, the, uh, how mission-based marketing and mission-based it was overall, and decided to jump in. So you obviously knew a, a lot about it before you got going. But just in terms of, you know, this the theme of the first 100 days, what scared the hell out of you on your first day? You know, the first day, I think, is always that unknown of, um, man, this thing, my support structure from Bank of America. So especially spending as long as I had spent there, I I was a known entity, right? And I had credibility when I wanted to do things or get things done. And in a big company, relationships are such a big part Mm -hmm. of how you get things moving. And as I sat there the first day, not only... Do I not know any of these people, but they're suspicious of me because I come from a big company. Mm. So I actually have a little bit of negative baggage, like what is this banker going (laughs) to be able to really like help us with or do here? And I sort of felt a little bit of that the first day. And so um, that was probably what made me a little bit nervous. That's a really great point, though. And I've been to your offices and they I mean, they are just as cool as cool gets as far as a, a corporate working environment, if you can even call it that. I mean, it's just... The open workflow, the collaborative environment, the, the very dogs. relaxed, the dogs. Um, and, you know, we always talk about culture, CMOs being culture drivers within organizations. You almost had the opposite problem, right? You had to come in and you had to be adopted by them. You had to, you know, be respectful of that culture that you were sort of stepping into. How did you negotiate that? And also at the same time, how do you sort of, you know, against that backdrop, how do you sort of um, assert yourself, right, and make your presence known in in a positive way? Well, it's funny. There's even a dress code here, right, whereas in the startup world and the growth world, like anything more than a T-shirt, a jeans, again, is regarded with suspicion. (laughs) I had, and I had no wardrobe, but they joke with me all the time. I had to go out and buy a bunch of stuff uh, to actually fit in here because, these companies have sort of dress codes, and it's, it's a big part of their culture. Yeah. Um, I mean, the first thing, I think, which is, you know, tried advice, but just to do a lot of listening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the more and more I listened, I remember um, one of the co-founders said a good piece of advice to me was, the first thing you should do is help us tell our story. And I think what she meant by that is certainly don't come in and start to say, here are all the opportunities where I can jump in and make this happen. You know, help us tell the story that we've already had a lot of success with, Mm. and that will give you sort of the credibility to, um, you know, start to put your stamp on things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things that you talked about at the very beginning was this um, amazing social presence um, that um, the company has. Can you tell us 
how that came to be? Was that, you know, prior to you? What have you done with it since you've been there? It's obviously uh, incredibly impressive. I think you said seven times uh, the combined uh, uh, presence of, of the other dog brands. Yeah, I, you know, a, a couple things were going on there. One is that this is such an entrepreneurial company, so we're constantly launching new products, new ideas. And one of those products early on was called Bark Post. And the idea was it was going to be a media property for dogs. And so <laughs> they spent about a year building that up. And, you know, it's so tough to build a media property that way uh, that that is makes money on its own. But they learned so much through that process. And they created such a good muscle memory for building that community and that audience mm. that a lot of those folks and a lot of that experience stayed around and really helped us to continue to accelerate um, everything that we were doing there. I mean, we've done custom content, a thing called Dog's Best Day that got 200 million views. It was just something that we filmed. People taking dogs on sort of um, their ultimate journeys, uh, the, the dog's bucket list kind of thing. And um, we did a lot of all our custom content. We actually don't use any agencies. So we every bit of content we do from an advertising standpoint, uh, anything we do, it's wow. And we believe that that's kind of the only way to really create that authenticity, which is so core to who we are and is what separates us from all the other pet brands that, uh, you know, did not feel like they were an authentic uh dog place like we do, in so, my opinion. So that's such a, you know, topic of conversation at so many marketers these days, right, is how much should we have in-house, how much, you know, actual execution and, and, and content development do we, do we you know, have within our walls as opposed to working with agency partners um, to execute. So, and yet you came from a company that obviously worked with agency partners. So, you know, how do you, how do you, you know, how would you regard um, the shifts that are happening right now among all marketers, um, at least from your vantage point and sort of from your two points of experience, do you think that has to happen for every brand or is it just because you guys are in such a unique place and you started that way that you were able to make that happen? I think millennials and younger people value authenticity in a way that I never felt um, early in my career, right? I mean, we loved at Bank of America doing the big polished, you know, creative and video and our television commercials look like you spend a million dollars on each one of them. And mm -hmm. um, I think that was more valued by the audience. And as you know, with marketing, these things go in sort of waves, general, generationally even. And this mm -hmm. current generation, a lot of our customers really value authenticity more. The user-generated content that we get constantly from our customers filming their dogs getting the box. Um, <laughs> I can't uh, any it outperforms every piece of marketing content yeah. that I develop hands down. Yeah. Well then uh, what so you're really co-creating with them. So your your audience is indeed your your uh your collaborators. That's right. And it's been super eye-opening to me, right? Where to not try to force that, mm. to actually let that let that realness come through. You know, dogs are imperfect and they're you know, they're messy and we want to let them be dogs. But we also I think it's a great uh, thing as we think about who we are. We're the same way and we're not trying to portray some polished version of, of who we are. And I think that really speaks to to a lot of our customers. And you really have a personality, right? I think that's the other thing in terms of your keeping it in house so that that the personality is consistent. Yeah, the agencies, and I've worked with you know many of the biggest in the world, who are a lot of whom have a lot of brilliant people, but they're 
they'll just never care to the degree that you care mm-hmm. internally. And it's very difficult for mm-hmm. people that are going to work on 15 different accounts in three-year period of time to create that same authenticity and knowledge of the customer that you get by um, having that on house. Now, the flip side is you got to be careful that that doesn't get stale. Right. And I was thinking especially that. Yep. as you mature as a company that I can hear a bunch of agency people out there thinking, well, yeah, but, you know, give that seven, eight, nine, ten years. Mm. How do you continue to keep that really live energy coming in. And that's something we've got to really, you know, work on to make sure that that doesn't happen. Well, it's also interesting because, you know, you're almost in the opposite situation where other companies are seeking to find their purpose or they're seeking to build a community or they're seeking to build a reason for being, you know what I mean? Like in that kind of engagement, you walk into a company that already has it ready made. And in in fact, it's so powerful and it's so, um, you know, so, um, so real you know, you have the opposite problem. You don't want to disrupt that in any way, right? So, you know, God forbid you do anything. And here you are as a new CMO, which, by the way, is a new role for the company, right? The company had never had a CMO before when you uh, came they in? They had had a CMO, actually. Okay. Um, they had had a CMO previously, but uh, our founders are also very good marketers themselves. And so right. there are a lot of cooks in that kitchen. <laughs> as most founder-led companies, it, you sure. know, there's this idea that, being a CMO at a founder-led company is a, I think it has the shortest uh, tenure of any C-level position. And, you know, it's tough because founders have a close relationship to the brand and marketing um, that it's very rare to find, they can find someone that they trust to basically take that forward. But like, so you're really having to be cognizant of that, all those factors at work while also trying to make your mark, right? And figuring out, well, what do I do here? What What's my value add? So how do you, how did you negotiate that reality? My initial, what, what I really tried to do early on is pour gasoline on the things that were already working really well. <laughs> yeah. And what the company didn't have were often processes to make a lot of the great stuff they were doing work at scale. Sure. And so scaling that up and and helping folks put some of that into place, like a lot of folks on my team have never worked at another company or they haven't worked at a big company where they saw, you know, how can we make something that's really has a lot of interest to 5,000 people? How do we get that to 5 million people? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd had a lot of experience with that. So on my first, uh, the first, I think, thing I focused on was bringing that sort of process and um, scalability to a lot of good things that were happening. And then as I got, as people started to see, I hope this is what they'd say, as people started to see, hey, he's got some good ideas on making us like better at being who we are, then you can start to bring in your own creativity and your own creative ideas. But this company already had a lot of that. So uh, it was not a place where it was going to be smart for me to try to jump in and, and, and do that. And there was no reason for me to do that. So with with a company where it sounds like so many of the people are involved in the quote unquote marketing because it's 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 a lot of content, how are you organized and how do you, you know, who reports directly to you, who doesn't and how do you coordinate all of those sorts of things in a coherent way? You know, this is something where uh, I've had this conversation with the founders a lot. And, and you know, we're pretty big now, so we're going to do $240 million in revenue this year or so, and we're profitable. Um, and, and we're profitable. <laughs> and, and we're profitable, right, which is, you know, not a lot not of us, companies yep. can say that. So the 
this ethos of the company is to be very entrepreneurial and distrust <laughs> distrust a little bit of these overarching mm-hmm. orgs where um, people support multiple businesses. Um, I We started out very separated, and I have started to bring some functions a little bit more corporate just because – when I say more corporate, more centralized mm-hmm. because that is a environment that I'm very comfortable managing and working in. So, you know, we have – now our PR sort of spans across the businesses and our entertainment partnerships person sort of spans across the businesses. So I have growth leaders for each of the businesses, Bark Box, Super Chewer, which is a new box of ours that's for tough <laughs> chewing dogs, um, you know, Bark Shop, our retail business, uh, and then a couple of new product lines. So I have growth leads that are very digital uh, oriented folks that have done a lot of paid social, a lot of affiliate, a lot of, uh, influencer marketing. And then I also have, again, those functions, PR, um, entertainment partnerships, and then our creative and content teams. So all the creative that we develop across the company, as well as um, content in our social handles and our social channels. Uh, And so, yeah, some of these are focused in within the businesses, and some of them are shared responsibilities across the businesses. So it's a it's a real hybrid. It is a hybrid, right? And I would think it probably continues to evolve since it's as 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 things are consolidated, centralized, and and seeing sort of what works and what doesn't. Yeah, it it does, and you know we've got a couple new businesses launching that we joke with the founders. They don't want me to talk to from a marketing standpoint because they want them to figure it out on their own a little bit. They're real believers, and this is where I've learned so much in this environment because I would have never done it this way at Bank of America. If you launched a new product, you would say, let's put them with the most experienced product launch people. And the feeling here is, you know, the best way to figure out something new is to not do things the way they've always been done. Mm. And so we want to give these new products room to breathe and get out there and figure out something without being influenced by a person who's done it a lot before. And I think that's really fascinating and, and the fact that we give them room to do that. And then when they get on their feet a little bit, you know, folks like me and others on the team can really help them. Again, think about pouring gasoline on it. But It's so funny. Uh, I, I had the same experience when um, I first started working on the Wharton Future of Advertising program. And uh, I had been at AT&T for 16 years, so I had a very similar sort of structured marketing kind of background. And the first partnership that we did with Google to, to launch a, a YouTube channel um, of interviews, uh, we did in like four weeks. <laughs> and and their motto was launch and iterate. Yeah, like get yeah. it out there, see that what it feels exactly like, right. get the things, and then and then change it over time. But but launch, get it going. Jay, that I wanna... was the biggest piece for me. Yeah. which uh, my instinct when I first got here was, you know, let's figure this out and put a plan together <laughs> right, right. and get everybody aligned. Right. And, <laughs> yes. The, the advice I was getting in that when I look back on the one thing I would have changed a little bit is I would have just moved faster on some of these things. Mm. Like I would have gone with my instinct a little bit more and just done it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that's scary to do at first, right? Because especially if you don't come from a background where that's really rewarded. So we're talking right. about what you've gained from being in this role, you know, going from Bank of America to this environment. But what have you also brought? You know, what do you think your experience as a CMO now at Bark, having come from a very corporate marketer environment, has 
has has how has it benefited um, this company? You know, as opposed to a CMO who maybe perhaps has only ever grown up in the startup world. I think it gives great comfort to, you know, I think we have almost 40 folks on the marketing team now. Mm -hmm. I think it gives great comfort to work for someone who's seen every stressful scenario. (laughs) And it's funny, one of the kids, I want to say kid, one of the folks on the team early said to me, you know, you were at Bank of America so long, but have you ever really been a part of a growth story? Yeah. Like a real growth company. Now, when I started at Bank of America, at Nations <laughs> Bank, actually, when I was 22, and we were the eighth biggest bank in the country, you know, a small little regional player, and then 16 years later, we were the fourth most profitable company in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny to have someone say, well, <laughs> part of the growth company, right? We've been through some crises. <laughs> we have dealt with some things that gives, I think, uh, the ability to put perspective on a lot of what's happening here. Right. Um, I love the hand-to-hand combat nature of every day we're watching um, our subscriber rates, right, and our sales in these businesses, but also I'm able to say, that, but nothing here is going to surprise me from that standpoint. Like, I've, let's, uh, I've got sort of a base to work from to figure out how to solve these problems. And I think that's helped um, the team a lot. How You were recently, Bark was actually one of the companies recently cited in the IAB report that came out earlier this year on direct brands of the future, right? And sort of direct to consumer. Yeah, yeah. just no intermediaries and um, and the o- true ownership, direct ownership of the c- customer consumer relationship. Um, how have you felt about that acknowledgement and what sort of responsibility do you feel to sort of as as an example of that new model or that model that that they were positing everyone should necessarily aspire to for success in this new world. You know, what kind of uh, responsibility do you feel in terms of like upholding Bark as that model, continuing to innovate so that you do continue to stand as as such a um, standout example of that? I know you do a lot of speaking engagements or you're starting to do more speaking engagements and sort of talk more broadly about some of this stuff. But what kind of influence do you want to have in the marketing industry at large and among your marketer peers um, against that backdrop? One is I, I want to create an emotional connection with our customers above all. And I, I, we have a unique ability in a direct-to-consumer business like this where we have a one-on-one relationship. We're in that house every month. Uh, we have a huge social community. The same people are talking to our customer service team. is called Happy. They're based in Columbus, Ohio. We have about 215. And they are crazy dog people, right? And they they talk to our customers all the time about what we're doing. We actually customize about 15,000 different boxes out of those 700,000, and we'll continue to do more and more of that. Wow. So I'm talking around your question a little, but like that emotional connection, we feel a huge responsible, responsibility for. We're surprised in the light business, and so we need to continue to do that. Um, I think as a, from a marketing standpoint, I really view a lot of the the conferences and the speaking opportunities and so forth is to tell the story more about BART. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, and let I'm people not, take what they want from that case study essentially. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm really not doing it for other reasons other than we haven't done a lot of that in the past. And now we've kind of got enough of a, of a base where it's time to, you know, these, these places that we speak to are, filled with influencers listening and talking about the company. There are a lot of companies you all know the name of that are smaller than us 
but have done a great job of doing that, um, of really being out there and becoming known as great marketers, and it's helped um, build their awareness overall. And so that that's that's kind of the main reason I'm doing it. Well, it's it's been wonderful having you on the show, Jay. Thank you so much for being with us and for sharing uh, such a, an exciting and, and heartwarming story for a dog owner here. Well, I hope you come visit us in our office because we've got about 40 or 50 dogs here at any one time. So people love coming by and kind of getting a feel for for that sold (laughs) sold from two dog lovers (laughs) yeah (laughs) we will do that i really appreciate it for more guest interviews check out our wharton business radio highlights podcast on itunes and google play